Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Thursday, August the 17th, 2023. It is currently 2.49 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. And ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it is time for story time with your host of the Theology Central Podcast. Are you ready for a little bit of story time? Well, it all started at about 4 a.m. one frightful morning. When I was awoken out of my sleep with a night terror. And that night terror was, I was listening to a program about biblical apologetics. And they were going to talk about eschatology. And they brought in to talk about eschatology, the one person everyone would tune to, to listen, to hear about apology, to hear about apologetics and to hear about eschatology. They brought in Alex Jones. Ah! Like, what, 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 what is that? Alex Jones, apologetics, eschatology. What is that? That's a night terror, ladies and gentlemen. But the reality is, though, it actually happened. There was an apologetics program who was talking about eschatology, and they literally brought in Alex Jones to talk about eschatology. Now, surprisingly, it wasn't near as bad as I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be this, like, absolute horrific train wreck of epic proportions, but we reviewed the audio, and it really wasn't that bad. But they brought up an interesting hypothesis. They brought up that when we think of the Olivet Discourse— which is found in Matthew chapter 24 and Luke chapter 21, they put forth an interesting hypothesis that the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 and the Discourse in Luke 21, they're not the same discourse. They're given at different times to different groups of people for different purposes. And I'm like, well, that's... That's an interesting hypothesis. Let, let, let's see what we can do. So I gave everyone an assignment to start basically charting out. Here's, here's the discourse in Matthew 24. Here's the discourse in Luke 21. Yeah, Luke 21. And compare and contrast. What do they have in common? What makes them different? Are they saying the same thing or to the same group of people? What, what conclusions can you come to? So I sent all of you off on an assignment. In the meantime, the story, well, the plot thickens in our story. It takes a, a wild twist because we start talking about a new sermon research program, a, a, a sermon writing assistant that will help you write your sermons called Sermon Spark. Now, Sermon Spark will let you tell them, hey, this is what I'm going to preach. And then they will send back to you a completed sermon. And we reviewed one of their sermons that they wrote on Jeremiah chapter 22. Does everybody remember that? Yes, you remember that, right? But then I came up with the idea, well, hey, let's get Sermon Spark. Let's get Sermon Spark 
to compose a sermon that compares and contrasts the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 and the contrast in Luke 21. And let's see with what they come up with. I thought it was a great idea. And one of the listeners, they signed up for Sermon Spark and they just sent me the sermon. They Now, I was going to do it myself, but it was going to cost me $50 because they only give you one free. So someone did it. They sent it to me. I got it a little while ago. I have not looked at it and I have not looked at it. All right. So we're just going to see what they, so in one sense, this is going to be more information about the Sermon Spark, you know, Sermon Research Assistant program that people can pay $50 a month for, for them basically to write your sermon. But I wanted to see what they would do almost like in a research project. Hey, help me out. Compare and contrast these two. Is it going to be like, wow, no wonder people pay $50. Or is it going to be like, what is this? I have no idea what we're going to find, right? Because remember, I don't like to do, I don't like to review things first. I want this to be in real time, but I am curious to see what they come up with, with Matthew 24 and Luke 21. Now, let me make this very clear. This may turn into a number of episodes about the, I, I gave this a label of part one because we may do more discussion about this problem and this this issue. But let me make this dogmatically clear from the beginning. If you want to hear a far more detailed study on Matthew 24 and the Olivet Discourse, please, if you have the uh, if you have the Sermon uh, 2.0 app, look for Theology Central. Then within Theology Central, search for Matthew 24. There's like 25, 26, 27 hours, maybe 30 hours of teaching on the Olivet Discourse. All right. If you're using the Church One app, do a search for Matthew 24. All of that content is available for you. Those are, that's the easiest way to find the content. Just do a search for Matthew 24, look for all the episodes for, from Theology Central, put them in order, they're right there. They're a part of our Bible study exercise. We worked on that chapter for a long time, and we dealt with every, we dealt with it from every perspective. So please, 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 please go listen to that. Don't expect this to be as in-depth as that was. What we're doing is we're just taking, because we listened to the Alex Jones craziness and they brought up an interesting hypothesis, we wanted to test it. We also had the Sermon Spark situation going on where we're trying to see what this Sermon Research Assistant service actually offers and what better way is to say, hey, can you compare and contrast Matthew 24 with Luke 21 and give send us something? And they did. It took them, I think, two days. Took them much longer. They sent my uh, Jeremiah 22 sermon back in like, you know, less than three hours. This took like two days. But you can see why. We gave them a very detailed project. So we will say, I still may subscribe to them uh, for a month and pay the $50 just because I want to I wanna do some more testing of it. Just to see, because I'm trying, because once again, I'm still conflicted. Some people say this is unethical, but guess what? If people were, if people were, if a pastor was going to prepare a sermon on Luke 24, 1 and Luke 20, uh, or Matthew 24 and Luke 21, and they were going to compare and contrast, I guarantee you they'd be looking up books about the two discourses. They would be borrowing from books. So if you're borrowing from books or if you're using a research assistant, is there a big difference? I don't know. I'm still conflicted. 
And none of you really had much of an opinion on it either. I was, I was kind of surprised, but maybe not. I kept saying, I don't think most people really care one way or the other, but let's see what they're going to do. So, so I don't know how far we're going to go into this. We're just going to start it. Who knows? I don't know what we're getting ready to find. So this is one of those things. Hey, come on. Let's, let's step into the unknown because that's what we do here on the Theology Central podcast. So here we go. This is from Sermon Spark. It is six pages long. I thought it would be longer. And here we go. They entitle it, All of It Discourse. Clearly, in their minds, this is to be presented in one sermon. They definitely did not, are not breaking this down into a series. The passages are Matthew 24, 1 through uh, Matthew chapter 24, verse 1 through verse 51, Luke 21, verse 5 through 35. The main idea, explore and compare the accounts of the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, 1 through 51, and Luke 21, 5 through 35, to gain a deeper understanding of Jesus' teachings about the end times. Now, immediately, they give me their theological approach to these uh, to the Olivet Discourse. Their theological approach is, this is f- preaching to the future. Now, are they speaking well, the end times, they're clearly, uh, they, they clearly believe the Olivet Discourse is about the future. And I would say, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hey, guys, 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 you're a research assistant program, right? You're, you're a service that's supposed to be helping people with sermon research. If you're going to mention the Olivet Discourse and you don't connect it to 70 AD, you're not a sermon research assistant. You're just promoting a specific theological perspective. Research for a sermon is you research. You come up with all the different perspectives, all the different issues. There's no way you can read Matthew 24 or Luke 21 and not go, wait a minute. I think this is about the destruction of that temple. What temple? The temple that was standing when Jesus was on the earth and that temple was destroyed in 70 AD. So you can't leave that out. Any preacher who preaches the Olivet Discourse and does not spend considerable time trying to figure out how those scriptures apply to the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, they are not, they are not offering you biblical, sound biblical teaching. They are cheating you. They are robbing you. You know what they're giving you? They're not giving you biblical teaching. They're giving you a presuppositional theological position. They have a theological position that serves as their presupposition. They're imposing it upon the text and you're getting ripped off. You're getting cheated and you're getting deceived. And it should tick you off. And you should go find a church that doesn't do that. Now I say that. And, uh, well, you're probably going to have a hard time finding churches that don't do that because churches love to simply preach a theological presupposition and actually dealing with the text. The text doesn't always fit in your nice little theological presupposition, but you impose the presupposition upon it. You place it upon it and then you read it and then you tell everyone, see, 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 my theology is right. Yeah, because you already presupposed it. You read it into the text. So immediately... They focus on the end times. What they should have said, explore and compare the accounts of the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, 1 through 51 and Luke 21, 5 through uh, 35 to gain, a, to gain a deeper understanding of the two discourses 
and to understand Jesus' teaching about the destruction of the temple in 70 AD and possibly how he could have been also teaching about the end times. Now, that would have been a little bit longer main idea, but there's no way to summarize that that many scripture and these discourses into something very succinct. It's going to take a little bit more time to explain. We want to compare and contrast these two discourses. We want to get gain a deeper understanding of them, and we want to know what Jesus had to say in regards to how these discourses apply to the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, and then we will be willing to look and how some of it may not fit 70 AD, and we have to look to a future fulfillment. So already, I'm not happy with that. For $50 a month, I would expect a little bit more, but I could be jumping the gun. Because maybe they're about ready to go into a lengthy discussion about 70 AD. So maybe I'm not being fair. But the main idea has me worried. The scripture is obviously Matthew 24, 1 through 51 and Luke 21, 5 through 35. Now, obviously I can't read all of this as of right now, but let me just show you why I know this is about 70 AD. Are you ready? Here we go. Matthew 24, verse 1. And Jesus went out and departed from the, come on class, everyone read it with me, temple. What temple did Jesus walk out of? Not some future temple, but the temple that was standing, the physical temple that was standing in Jerusalem when Jesus was alive. Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. They come and say, look, Jesus, look at all of this. Look at all of this. What are they pointing to? Not to a future temple, not to a past temple, but to the present temple that was standing when Jesus was on earth. And Jesus said unto them, see ye not all these things? What things? The temple. Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. What is Jesus referencing? Not some future temple, that temple, it's coming down. Ladies and gentlemen, we know exactly when it came down. 70 A.D. Next verse. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, Hey, tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? They wanted, they, in their minds, if the temple's going to be destroyed, that's the end of everything. That's the end of everything. They're trying to figure out when is that going to be destroyed? And Jesus answered and said unto him, take heed that no man deceive you. And then he begins to outline the signs pointing to the destruction of the temple. And it is amazing that he starts off with, let no man deceive you. And Christian after Christian goes to churches where the people deceive you. And instead of using the text to point to 70 AD, they use it to point to the future. How about you deal with what the question was? When are these things, when, when is these buildings going to be destroyed? And there's not going to be one stone left. That has to be the end of the world. Now, does Luke give us the same context? Or does Luke provide us a different context? Go to Luke 21, verse 5. Luke 21, verse 5. Look at 21, 5. They're in the temple. They see uh, this woman who gives, right? And they look at 21, 5. And as some spake of the temple, how it was adorned with goodly stones and gifts, he said, 
As for these things which you behold, the days will come in the which there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. He's still pointing to the temple. Whether you're going to argue that these have two different, like the that program, that night terror with Alex Jones and eschatology, you have to acknowledge it's the same concept. They're pointing out the building and Jesus is like, hey, all of it's coming down. And they asked him saying, master, but when shall these things be? And what, and what sign will there be when these things shall come to pass? And he says, take heed that no man deceive you. I... Look, whether we argue if it's the same discourse or a separate discourse, sounding very similar to me up to this point. They want to know when the temple's going to be destroyed. That's what this is about primarily. Now, let's see what they do. Next, they give us a key quote. Here's the key quote. The truth of the gospel is also the principal article of Christian doctrine. Most necessary is it, therefore, that we should know this article well, teach it unto others, and beat it into their heads continually. Now, I'm a little bit concerned why they give that quote. That quote is about the gospel. The gospel is about what Christ is going to do for you in salvation. So I don't know why they quote that. Because is this going to be about the gospel? I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they're just using the word gospel there just in their minds to refer to Christian doctrine. Matthew 24 and Luke 21 is about doctrine. So therefore, we should know the article well, teach it, and beat it into their heads continually. So I'm going to beat this into your head continually so you understand eschatology. But then is it really about eschatology or is it about 70 AD? Let's see. Introduction. Here's their introduction. Now, remember, this is written like it's a sermon that you're going to preach, right? So here we go. I'm going to unplug my iPad here. Here we go. Good morning, church family. Today, we will be diving deep into the heart of Jesus's teachings by exploring and comparing two significant accounts of the Olivet Discourse, also known as the Sermon on the Mount. What? Okay. Is the Olivet Discourse called the Sermon on the Mount? I, I'm a little perplexed. Okay, let me read that again. Okay, okay. Okay, I know it's hot here in Texas. It's 105 outside. Maybe it's 106 now. It's about 700 degrees in here. Okay, so maybe maybe I'm you know losing my mind here. Every, if you're listening to me live, if if you if you've heard this, let me know because I'm caught off guard here a little bit. Good morning. Now remember, this is the introduction. Good morning, church family. Today we'll be diving deep into the heart of Jesus' teaching by exploring and comparing two significant accounts of the Olivet Discourse also known as the Sermon on the Mount, found in Matthew 24, 1 through 51, and Luke 21, 5 through 35. Right? Yeah, well, someone just, someone in, in chat just laughed and said, it's AI. I know, yeah, and this has to be AI. Well, there's no way. Uh, okay, I, I'm, I've got to look it up. Okay, I've got to verify. Because maybe I'm missing something. Maybe I was asleep one day in seminary or Bible college or Bible Institute. Maybe of all the schools I've gone to. Let's just look here. Okay, someone said they've never heard it called that before. Okay, I'm going to type in Sermon 
on the Mount. I hear Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount. All right, I'm just going to go here to Wikipedia. Let's just go to Wikipedia. The Sermon on the Mount is a collection of sayings spoken by Jesus of Nazareth found in the Gospel of Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. That's not the Olivet Discourse, ladies and gentlemen. Why are they saying the Olivet Discourse is also called the Sermon on the Mount? I am, I am perplexed, but I'm interested, okay? I'm interested in, have I missed something? All right. So already, so I'm 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 off to a very negative start here. I'm off to a very negative start here. Okay, I I'm we're just we're gonna just forgive that. I guess we're just gonna forgive this. Um, but I think we typically separate the Sermon on the Mount and Matthew five, six, and seven with the Olivet Discourse. Right now, they say this discourse is given by Jesus on the Mount of Olives. Now, you, I guess you could argue that what well, is on the Mount of Olives, right? Because, hang on, let me go back to Matthew twenty-four. Hang on, does it say? Hang on, let me go here, Matthew twenty-four. I'm trying to hold the iPad in one hand, turn the Bible in the other. He's on the Mount of Olives, so maybe you could argue it's a. It's the. Would it be the discourse on the Mount? I give. I guess. I guess maybe technically, AI could be like, look, it's right there in Matthew twenty four three upon the Mount. And if we refer to this as a sermon or a discourse, then it would be the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe it's more accurate to call this a Sermon on the Mount than Matthew five through seven. <laughs> right, because in Matthew five. Well, he went up into a mountain. So Matthew 5, he's in, he's in a mountain as well. So maybe there's two sermons on the mount. There's the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, and there's Sermon on the Mount and Matthew 24. M- maybe, maybe they, they could make an argument there. Okay. We won't get too caught up on that, but it just threw me, threw me for a loop there. All right. This discourse given by Jesus on the Mount of Olives is one of the most detailed and profound prophecies about the end times. Here we go again. Okay. Let me take a deep breath. Okay. All right. Whew. All right. All right. I have to do Lama's breathing here. Okay. Because I'm going to lose my mind. Okay. All right. All right. Stay calm. I, 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 I get so irritated when this, I know this is normal. This is church 101 for some of you. When your pastors preach on this, they go straight end times, end times, end times. I'm telling you, you're being deceived. It's dishonest. It's not genuine. It is wrong for them to do that. Primarily, this is about the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. I cannot, like, I want to just start throwing things. There's no reason for any pastor or any research assistant to get this wrong. The text's clear. That temple's going to be destroyed. When is this going to happen? Hey, don't let anyone deceive you. Boom, 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 boom. He starts laying it out. And many, many, I would say more than half of the things he lay out, he lays out, clearly fits to the pre-70 AD time period. And we discussed this in great detail in our teaching on Matthew 24. Please go listen to it. All right, let's see where they go here. All right, here we go. So far, they're driving me absolutely crazy. In the words of Martin Luther, the truth of the gospel is also the principal article of all Christian doctrine. 
Most necessarily is therefore that we should know the article well, teach it unto others, and beat it into their heads continually. So let's continue in the truth today as we journey through these scriptures. The only problem is Martin Luther is talking about the gospel, but okay, okay, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna ignore that and just, I don't want to get into a long gospel distinction here, but okay, let's continue in the truth. I agree. Let's continue in the truth. Let's continue in the truth. And you know what? How we should continue in the truth? I don't know. Maybe being more uh, genuine and honest about what Matthew 24 and Luke 21 is about, but okay. Then they give us the prayer. All right. Then it says, all right, then let's get started. Comparing. Here we go. Ooh, ladies and gentlemen. I see the word 70 AD. I see the number 70 and the letters AD. We may, we may, even though they made it sound like that at the beginning, maybe they're about to turn a corner. Okay. All right. I, I can't look down any further. Oh, I'm getting excited. I'm getting excited. All right. If they get this right, then AI is better than people. All right. Because clearly this is put together by AI. If AI gets this right, then I say we fire all pastors and we put AI in charge of the church. All right. If they get this right, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to quit and I'm going to say all, no, all pastors should resign to, today and we should just hand the church over to AI. Okay. All right. Some of you may not like that, but if AI gets this right, then I give up on people. Okay. Here we go. You ready? Here we go. As we begin to compare the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 and Luke 21, we first notice that both accounts start with a similar scene. Okay. So far, so good. Okay, I, I, come on. Come on, AI. I'm rooting for you, right? I want all of us human beings fired to put you in charge of everything, okay? Maybe we should have AI running the government, okay? All right, I, I, all right here we go. Jesus and his disciples are leaving the temple, and the disciples are marveling at the grandeur of the temple buildings. In both accounts, Jesus responds by prophesying the destruction of the temple saying not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Ooh, they got the destruction of the temple. Okay, so far, so good. So far, so good. All right. Okay, I'm getting excited. I'm getting excited. Okay, I went from I went I went from losing my mind. Now I'm getting excited. The emotional roller coaster is real here, ladies and gentlemen. All right, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Yeah. Okay. It would take out uh, people's feelings and experience. It would take it out, right? It would take out. The AI would just be very, you know, no, no, no feelings. Just give us the facts. Okay. I don't know. Here we go. All right. Here we go. Are you ready? Here we go. This prophecy given around 30 AD. Everybody take a deep breath. Was fulfilled in 70 A.D. when the Romans destroyed the temple during the siege of Jerusalem. Oh, wow. Whoa, 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 whoa. Now, okay, that's got me excited. I don't know what they're getting ready to do, but that's already better than some churches. That's already better than some pastors. All right, this is already AI to the rest. AI is going to save the church. Okay, all right. Maybe that's a little. Maybe that's a little hyperbole. Okay, here we go. Here we go. This is a significant. There. This is a significant. Uh, hang on. I'm sorry. This is a significant point of agreement 
between the two accounts and serves as a reminder of the accuracy and reliability of Jesus' prophecies. Well, I agree, right? Jesus' prophecies are very reliable because if he gives us around 30 AD, that temple is destroyed in 70 AD. Jesus' prophecies are reliable. And not only are they reliable, ladies and gentlemen, they are fulfilled in what way? Literally. Okay, that's, that's, that's important. Okay. Now, what are they going to do here? No, I'm, 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 oh, I'm, I can't wait to see what's going to happen here. Here we go. Matthew's details. Here's the details in Matthew. Matthew's account is more detailed and includes additional prophecies not found in Luke's account. Matthew mentions false Christ, wars, rumors of wars, famines, and earthquakes as the beginning of birth pains. He also includes the abomination of desolation, a reference to a future event when the abominable act will desecrate the holy place causing desolation. Now stop right here, stop right here, stop right here. Now they jump to the future. Now let me ask, when Rome came in in 70 AD, did they do an abominable act that desecrated the holy place? I mean, did they not take everything out of the holy place? Did they not desecrate it? And did they not destroy it? The temple was destroyed. Is that not called causing desolation? Did they not cause desolation? Was that not possibly fulfilled in 70 AD? Now, some of you are going to be like, absolutely not, because the Antichrist is going to make a peace agreement with, with Israel, and then in three and a half years, he's going to go to the temple, he's going to claim himself to be God, and he's going to desecrate that, and that's the, that's the abomination of desolation. It's going to be in the future. I know that's immediately what you want to run to, but is it possible that that happened in 70 AD when they came in? What you should do is read everything you can about what happened in 70 AD with the destruction of the temple. They immediately threw it to the future. Now, I'm, I'm very glad that they have mentioned 70 AD, but immediately they, they can't even stop themselves going, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is it possible this actually happened? And all right, now Luke's detail. All right, here we go. Luke's account, while less detailed, emphasizes the personal suffering and persecution that the disciples will face. Luke talks about the disciples being arrested, persecuted, and even put to death because of their faith in Jesus. He also mentions signs in the sun, moon, and stars, and on the earth, distress among nations, confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. Now, some of those, that's where you have to go, wait a minute. Now, preterists will say... Sun, moon, and stars can represent nations, and they will go back into Isaiah and Ezekiel to show you sometimes how this can... Re- so then, do we understand that? Now, the only problem is, now, now we're looking for something figurative when we do believe the prophecy is fulfilled literal, and that's where things get a little confusing hermeneutically. All right, now here we go. They say this, a common theme. The end times, now see, now immediately they jump to the end times. Oh, even AI is confused. All right, here we go. Okay, never mind. AI, you're not taking over the church. You're fired. Go sit down. All right, all right here we go. The end times, now AI is going to be taking over my house and I'm going to be, it's going to come for me and I'm going to be killed by AI. Watch the movie coming out soon. Okay, all right, here we go. The end times will be marked by a significant upheaval and suffering. But amidst the turmoil, Jesus offers hope in both accounts. He assures his disciples that despite the trials they will face, not a hair of their heads will perish. By standing firm, they will gain life. 
Now, is that just for which disciples is that a promise to? If that's a promise for the disciples at that time, then you can't be talking about the end times. It would have to be. So here's a question. Were any of the disciples martyred before 70 AD? Now, we have to go look at these verses. I'm just following what they're giving us. I'm just following what they're giving us. I know we're not looking at all the verses right now, but it, that is, I mean, if, if there's a promise, hey, you know, you're not going to be hurt. And if, then if we put that to the end times, well, then clearly those disciples don't make it to the end times. They're killed. So is that prophecy not fulfilled? Or is that prophecy for someone else? Who is, who is being promised that they will not be injured? If it's the disciples themselves, ladies and gentlemen, please start looking were the 12 disciples, well, now, now Judas, we know, is going to die. So see, then, but Judas, is he really considered a disciple? Or were the other 11 killed before 70 AD? Who was the promise given to? Now, the diversity and the unity of the gospel accounts. Okay, hang on, I'm sorry. We, the emphasis on vigilance and preparedness. And both Matthew and Luke, Jesus warns his disciples to be on guard and not let the day come upon them unexpectedly. He uses the parable of the fig tree to illustrate that just as one can tell when summer is near by looking at the fig tree, so too can one discern the signs of the end times. Again, is it the signs of the end times or is it the, the, the signs for the destruction of the temple in 70 AD? AI, you're fired. What are you doing? You got it so right and now you're getting it so wrong. AI, even AI cannot be consistent. Or is this a person? I don't know. Whoever put this together, you're driving me crazy again. See, I thought I was getting all happy. All right, here we go. While each gospel writer brings his unique perspective and emphasis, they both faithfully record the words and teachings of Jesus. Now, they have this highlighted in yellow. Pastor. This is like a little secret note. Hey, pastor. Here would be a good place to share a personal story about which version. No, I don't need to care about which new movies are being added to Hulu right now. Okay, all right, here we go. All right, again, takes up the whole screen. All right, here we go. Pastor, here would be a good place to share a personal story about which version of the Olivet Discourse you tend to be drawn to and why. So I guess I'm supposed to say, you know, to me, I tend to go with Matthew 24 because this, or I, 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 okay, all right, fine, all right. Here we go. I think they throw that in just so that you don't completely, they're trying to avoid being accused of people just plagiarizing. But if you pot it, are you plagiarizing? Okay, whatever the case may be. Here we go. Similarities. We find several striking similarities between both accounts. Both accounts begin with the disciples admiring the temple's grandeur. Jesus responds by prophesying the temple's destruction, a prophecy that was fulfilled in 70 AD when the Romans destroyed Jerusalem. The prophecy serves as a launching point for Jesus' discourse on the end times, setting the stage for a discussion on the signs of his return in the end of age. See, this is what people always do. Hey, Jesus just said, so they, they think that there's really like prophecy one, this is going to be destroyed, right? But then they ask, when is it going to happen? Then everyone interprets the rest as Jesus then has forgotten about the temple and all the rest of the signs are for the end of the times. I don't know how you read it that way. He prophesies the destruction of the temple. They ask when, and then he lays out the signs. How do you not first and foremost apply that to 70 AD? I have no idea. All right. Okay, here we go. False, uh, he goes, false prophets. Or when I say he, he, she, they, them, AI, it, I don't know. Whoever put this together, whatever put this together, 
says this. All right, here we go. So they think that immediately after Jesus says this is all going to be destroyed, everything else he says is about the end times, which I completely disagree. And I think that's deceiving people. But they go on to say false prophets. In both accounts, Jesus warns of false prophets and deceivers who would come in his name, misleading many. This is a stern warning for believers to remain vigilant and discerning, not to be swayed by every wind of doctrine, but hold fast to the truth of the gospel. No, this was a sign for those leading up to 70 AD that even before 70 AD, there would be false Christ and false prophets and don't be deceived by them because destruction is coming. And we know in our study of Jeremiah that the false prophets love to say everything's going to be okay when it's not. Pains. Both Matthew and Luke record Jesus' prediction of war, famines, earthquakes, and other calamities. All of those happened before 70 AD. There were wars, there were famines, there were earthquakes before 70 AD. These are described as the beginning of birth pains, indicating that they are per- precursors to the end times rather than the end itself. No, they are precursors to 70 AD. Because guess what, ladies and gentlemen? It's been 2,000 years. There have been wars, earthquakes, famines, pestilence over and 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 over again for 2,000 years. Clearly, the signs don't mean anything anymore. But they would have meant something when Jesus is given the prophecy in 30, between 30 and 70, every war, every rumor of war, every earthquake, every pestilence that happened would have been a clear sign. Oh, it's going to happen. The temple's coming down. Then the signs would have meant something. I don't know how people can't understand this. Both accounts conclude with the promise of Jesus' return. He describes it as a glorious event, visible to all, the lightning that flashes across the sky. This is the blessed hope of every believer and the return of our Lord and Savior. Now, I'd stop right here. You can look at how both accounts describe the return of Jesus. Hardcore preterist will say that's figurative and it happened in 70 AD. It's over. All right. Moderate preterist will say, we'll kind of make a, a, a distinction. Here's what I will say. I'm going to look in 70 AD and everything that fits 70 AD, that's what I'm going to apply it to. If I read those accounts, I'm like, no, this is clearly Jesus coming back. Then I'm going to acknowledge at some point the prophecy skips. And this is what I would say. Everything leading up to 70 AD was a sign. It was a sign of 70 AD. The destruction of the temple had happened literally. Guess what? That tells us then those things that's supposed to happen after the destruction of the temple, they will happen literally. That That's how I would see it. All right. Um, they provide a comprehensive picture of the end times, equipping believers with the knowledge that they need to navigate the challenges ahead and remain steadfast in the faith. No, it provides a comprehensive picture of the coming destruction of 70 AD, giving those believers the knowledge to navigate the challenges ahead and remain steadfast in their faith. So, so I, I'm going to correct AI here. The differences. Matthew's account as mentioned, we see a more detailed explanation of the signs of the end times. Matthew includes the parable of the fig tree and the days of, of Noah analogy, which are not found in Luke's. Again, I think all of that fits to coming 70 AD. People are just eating and drinking and getting married and not paying any attention. And then next thing you know, Jerusalem is surrounded. Next thing you know, they're starving. Next thing you know, uh, Jerusalem is destroyed and the temple. 
These parables serve to illustrate the suddenness and unexpected nature of the end times. In Matthew's account, Jesus also gives a more detailed description of the tribulation uh, uh, period, including the abomination of desolation. I think the abomination of desolation refers to what happened in 70 AD, or at least it should be considered. Luke's account for, focuses more on the destruction of Jerusalem, which happened in AD 70. Luke includes unique details like the encircling of Jerusalem by armies and its desolation. Note, it's desolation, the abomination of desolation. The focus on Jerusalem destruction serves as a more immediate fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy while also pointing to the future and end times. Well, okay. The audience to which the discourse was addressed. In Matthew, Jesus seems to be addressing his disciples by the extension of the church. This is evident in the use of the term elect, which is often used to refer to believers. In contrast, in Luke, Jesus seems to be addressing the people in Jerusalem and the Jewish nation. This is seen in the use of you, referring to the people of Jerusalem, and this people referring to the Jewish nation. I will argue, if it's referring to the elect, Israel was God's elect, and the Jews, so... Couldn't it both of them be for the Jews? Now, uh, Alex Jones and them said one was for the Jews and one was for the Gentiles. That they don't seem to agree with that. Are there two different audiences? Is it really the same audience just spoken of in two different ways? Disasters referred to. The emphasis on the signs of the end times also differ between the two accounts. In Matthew, Jesus warns of false prophets who will perform great signs and wonders to deceive the elect. In contrast, Luke emphasizes natural disasters, signs in the heavens, and the fear of anxiety of the nations. Uh, in Matthew, his return is described, speaking of the coming of Jesus, as lightning, Matthew 24, 27, and is associated with the gathering of the elect from the four winds. Now, this is where you may go, okay, we've now skipped past 70 AD. And Luke, his return is associated with redemption, Luke 21, 28, and the establishment of the kingdom. Now, clearly, you could say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is going, because we know the establishment of the kingdom doesn't happen with the destruction of the temple, unless you try to argue that that sets up the amillennial idea that we're in the millennium now, which I disagree with. All right. So I think we can agree a good portion of it is 70 AD, but then there's these sections of it that go way beyond 70 AD. But everything you can fit pointing to 70 AD, make it fit that. And then when the text jumps, say, now from this point on, it clearly cannot be 70 AD. All right, then here's their conclusion. All right, church family, as we wrap up today, let's remember that the Olivet Discourse is a profound reminder of the certainty of Christ's return. Whether we're looking at Matthew's account or Luke's, the message is clear. Jesus will come again. Our job is to stay alert, keep our lamps filled with oil, and live in a way that honors him every day. Go in peace, church family, and keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, our soon coming King. God bless you all. I don't, if I went to a church like that, I would leave so frustrated because he did not help me. AI, you're fired. You're not, you cannot take over. You're trash. I'm sorry. You're trash. Or I hope that's not a person. If it's a person, I won't say you're trash, but you did not give us much. You gave us some details there that could be used in a sermon, but you didn't help anyone understand the Olivet Discourse in any way, shape, or form. What you did is you tried to so d- dumb it down and simplify so everyone walks out going, okay, I don't really understand all the details, but Jesus is going to come back. The end. I-, I don't really need to understand what's going on there. Well, some people go to church and they don't really want to understand what's going on, uh, but those who want to understand going on, they- they're not going to handle that.
So that really wasn't super helpful. The Olivet Discourse, Matthew and Luke, whether they're the same or different, we didn't really get a good answer. They definitely noticed there were similarities and there were differences. But I know this. I think maybe if you put them together, you get the full discourse. But here's what I know. They are first and foremost a prophecy about the destruction of the temple in 70 AD and the signs they are given points to the destruction of the temple. Anything that doesn't fit that, you can say it points to the future and then you have to figure out where that jumping point is. But so much of it is 70 AD and anyone who studies the time leading up to it knows that. So when you read the Olivet Discourse, focus on 70 AD, focus on the destruction of the temple, focus on the parts that clearly fit that, and then the parts that don't, then you can see how it may fit with the coming of Jesus in the future. There you have it. I wish I could say more. But now we we got to answer. I don't know if Alex Jones and them are really onto a good hypothesis because I don't know if it really fits. This obviously sees them as the same discourse, just with additional details and different details, which is common in the Gospels. So you harmonize them. It's the same discourse. You just put it together. You get the full discourse. But this sermon spark did the same thing everyone else does and immediately wants to go future, 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 future. They did a little better job mentioning 70 AD, but they're just like, well, Jesus said it's going to be destroyed. That's going to be fulfilled. The rest of this is about the future. That is horrible hermeneutics and makes no sense in just reading the text as it is given. There you go. So what did we learn about all of, about sermon spark? That wasn't super helpful. I don't know if that's worth $50 a month. I think we can say that. If that's put together by AI, uh, AI is going to give us the same garbage sermons that a lot of people already give us. So I guess in some ways, you can go ahead and replace many pastors because it's the same simplified, dumbed down stuff that a lot of people get. But... We did get a chance to look at it a little bit more. Now, you can go look up all of my teaching on Matthew 24, like 30 plus hours on it. Go listen, and then you can get a greater detail on, on it. But I think we'll stop right there. I don't think we'll do a part two for now. We may do more work on the Olivet Discourse, but I think once again, it just shows most of this is 70 AD. And there's just a little bit that you can say, I think that's future, that's future, that's future, that's future. Because we, we, we just can't make it work. All right. You can look at it today. Let me know. Newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. I'm going to bring this to an end because it is currently, what is it outside? What is it outside? It's 108 degrees outside, ladies and gentlemen. It's 108 degrees, and literally, I have sweat pouring off my forehead. I'm about to start removing clothing, and I this is a theology podcast, so I cannot do that because it would probably be wrong to be doing a theology podcast while I'm taking off my clothes. But it is hot up here. Woo! It is a warm day. We're in, we're in an excess excessive heat warning currently here in Texas, and uh, man, it is warm in this studio. So we'll end it right there. 
Thank you. Someone just said the Matthew 24 study was unforgettable. That's super, super, super nice and encouraging. I greatly appreciate it. And, uh, whoo, it is warm. Someone didn't obviously like the idea <laughs> of me removing my clothing. They, they weren't a fan of that. Okay, man, you, it's hard to keep people happy. Keep your clothes on. People aren't happy. Take your clothes off. People aren't happy. You teach. People are happy. You can't make anyone happy. You just, you just can't. Right. Woo, it is warm. All right. Thank you for listening. Everyone have a great day. You can email me at newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. There, we brought a dramatic conclusion to the Alex Jones thing and kind of a dramatic conclusion to the Sermon Spark review. And we brought it all together and you got to learn a little bit about the Olivet Discourse. Okay. Oh, someone said of the heat. Okay. Someone was, their, their, their expression, their little emoji was about the heat. I thought they were like, wow, they were, they're, they're very unhappy with the thought. Okay. All right. I wasn't trying to offend anybody, but ladies and gentlemen, it is hot. In fact, I'm going to pass out any second. So I'm going to stop. Thank you for listening. Please email me. Hopefully that was beneficial. God bless everyone. Have a great day.